Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Uh, goodness, go and get your Bibles out. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 6. Uh, also, thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. Uh, I'm always encouraged by how we get to worship together. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, I really need you to keep your finger there in Romans 6, but we are going to be in several other passages today as well, but our, our main study is going to be Romans 6. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm really glad to be back uh, behind the pulpit, although this is not a pulpit. I'm glad to be able to preach. I consider it an incredible joy. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, I have been really encouraged by our brother Austin, who preached the last two Sundays uh, in my absence, uh, even in my presence. And I was grateful that he opened up God's word to us. Uh, for those who don't know, Austin is in the process of training to be a pastor, and so why not just go ahead and throw him into the fire and let him learn? That's the planning. Guys, I, I want to confess something to you. It's something that only pastors who preach routinely go through. Uh, and that confession is this. Guys, it can be a very difficult thing to know what to preach next. It's a very hard thing to figure out sometimes. Obviously, it's always going to come from this, in my perspective. Uh, but sometimes it's like, all right, God, what, what do you need your church to know from all of this, right? What specifically do you want them to know? And it's it's a struggle sometimes. Like we, we put a high importance on preaching this, right? We, we, I consider this, this to be the rudder of our church, right? If our church is a ship, this is the rudder that steers it ultimately. And so this is highly important. This isn't just a, a whimsical thing. And so, I mean, even two months ago, just praying, God, what, what do you want? What do you want for these two weeks before we get into our Gospel of John sermon series? I had, I had clarity on that, but... Just praying, and, and I had the idea of, well, what if we preach through the sacraments, the Lord's Prayer and Baptism? Like, eh. But, you know, it's just like, I wasn't sure if that was just some idea that popped up from Scott Brother, if that was like of the Lord, right? You kind of want to know if it's of the Lord, and you want confirmation of the Lord, because if it's of Scott Brother, then goodness, it's not going to be good. But I was praying earlier this week, because I still didn't have clarity on it, and I prayed, God, I really just want to give them the gospel. I really want them to hear the gospel, the good news. We just came out of another rough year. We need some good news again. So again and and as in that moment in that moment the lord kind of reminded me of a major truth and and if if we're going to give you the gospel right if we're going to hear the gospel again and again um one of the most visible ways that we can see the gospel on display is in the sacraments it's actually in baptism and the lord's supper so for me that kind of acted as a confirmation it kind of confirmed for me uh from the lord that we ought to be studying through the two sacraments of the Protestant church. Now, I will say, uh, the word sacrament, you probably have some, some baggage that you carry with that, right? Maybe some of you have some baggage because you came out of a certain denomination or maybe even a certain kind of church. Some of you came out of the Roman Catholic Church. Some of you have switched churches. You came out of Baptist because Baptists don't use sacraments. They use ordinances, right? So, oh my goodness, what do we do? Guys, there are a lot of differences, right, between the, especially the Roman Catholic Church and the the Protestant church, which is us, right? Because we believe that there's two. They believe that there's seven. <laughs> we believe that they don't make us more fit to be justified before God. Only Jesus is able to justify. Uh, they believe that sacraments do increase our fitness to be justifiable before the Lord, which is strange to me. But our tradition, we hold to two 
two sacraments, two ordinances, right? We, we believe in what's called the baptism of the saints, and, and we believe in the Lord's Supper. We also call it what? Communion, right? Baptism and communion, or baptism and the Lord's Supper. But let me, let me define a term real quick, because it doesn't matter if we use sacraments or ordinances if we define the term of what we're talking about. So when I talk about sacraments, here's what I mean. Sacraments are visible, symbolic expressions of invisible spiritual realities. Can we read that together again? One, two, three. Sacraments are visible, symbolic expressions of invisible spiritual realities. So guys, the, the chief purpose of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are, are one and the same, ultimately. The chief, the highest purpose of them all is that they would preach the gospel to us again and again and again and again with what I'm calling visible words. With visible words, which is why this is going to be a series that we're calling The Visible Gospel. Just two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to be in a quick series that goes through these two sacraments. Because the word gospel itself means good news, right? And, 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 it, and, and news has to be shared with verbs, with words, right? With, with the usage of, of actual language. We see that in Romans 10, right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper take the eternal spoken words of the gospel and make them visible. It makes them de- depicted in action, right? It's kind of like, uh, like charades, right? Now, I want to be careful here. Do not quote me saying baptism is a charade. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, you know the game charades, right? Where you get the word, like if you're a monkey and the guy's going, right? He's like this, and what do you say? What do you, say? you guess it, right? What is it? And then, and then, and then let, let's say, let's say I, I get the word um, to, to shovel. I'm, out, I'm doing this, right? What am I doing? Yeah, shoveling snow, right? So uh, let's say I, I got the word gospel. Okay, somebody come here and what do you see? Baptism, right? No, that's the gospel. What do you see when we, the gospel, right? It's, it's charades for the gospel ultimately, right? We're, we're seeing the gospel acted out visibly in action. So, so one of the things that we're going to do today is, is specifically, uh, we're going to talk about baptism. We're going to talk about baptism. As baptism is not a word, although it is in the English dictionary. It's not the Greek word. Rather than translating the Greek word, they transliterated it, which means the Greek word is baptizo, and they just said, all right, baptism, that's what we're going to call it. That's how we're going to bring it into the English, to baptize. Now, the literal meaning of this word in in both Christian and non-Christian understanding is to immerse, right? It means to dip, to to plunge passively. Uh, For example, you baptize pickles, right, in vinegar. Or you baptize cucumbers to get pickles. Uh, you, you, it's also used in Old Test, or it's actually used in Greek, Old Old Greek, of a ship that has sunk. Uh, you, you would, you would, it would be immersed into the water. It would just drown, right? So, oftentimes when you hear the word baptize or baptism, what do you think of? You, you, you think of water, and the meaning of it should be immersion, right? Now, now typically when we think of water. Uh, uh, that's all we think of when it comes to baptism. But, but actually, there's a lot more to it that prefaces it. That, that, that when we go down into the waters of baptism, so, that's just depicting a, a baptism that has already happened. And I'll explain what that means in a little bit. But uh, I need to do a quick disclaimer. 
Uh, today is not going to de- debate the conversation between Credo Baptist and Pado Baptist, right? Uh, for those of you who don't know what that means, it's we're, we're not going to debate whether or not we should be baptizing children or infants, right? That's a conversation for another time. Some of you may hold to different beliefs about that. That's not the discussion today. We can talk about that later. We're just talking about baptism of believers, okay? And that's what's going to be in view. So let me, let me tell you uh, what question we're going to be answering today. And the question is this, what is the invisible spiritual reality that baptism visibly, symbolically expresses? What is the invisible spiritual reality that baptism visibly, symbolically expresses? Now, you don't have to wait to the end to get to the answer. You're going to have the answer right here, right now. This is the answer. Baptism depicts the believers, one, cleansing from sin, two, safe passage through judgment, and three, union with Jesus' death and resurrection. The answer is threefold. There's three true, like deep realities that baptism pictures. The cleansing from sin, safe passage through judgment, and union with Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, to be clear, these delights of this church, these benefits here don't come to us by going and getting in this tub and, and, and going down into the water. There's not even water in there right now, but, but they, they don't come to us by doing that. That's not what scripture says. These spiritual benefits, these blessings are secured by Christ and our faith in him alone. So they can be yours for a price of believing. That's it. That's all it takes. That's all it costs. You don't have to go get wet somewhere, right? But the act of baptism is what visibly depicts these spiritual blessings. So in other words, just a real quick application. If I were to ask you, hey, what makes you a Christian? Or, 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 or what, what me, how did you get saved, right? When were you saved? And how were you saved? The answer is not, well, I was, I was baptized at such, and such an age when the pastor told me to repeat a prayer after him and then gave an altar call and said, come get baptized. I was like, oh, wait, your dependence is on your baptism. That's not salvation. Salvation is believing in Jesus alone for these benefits. Okay? So that's a, another quick disclaimer. Now that we've danced around a lot, we're actually going to go dive into God's word. <laughs> Let's do it. Run through these first two, and then we're going to walk through the third one. So we're going to go really quick through the first two, and then we're going to walk through the third one. Let's look at the first one. So baptism visibly, symbolically expresses the invisible spiritual reality of the believer's cleansing. Sorry, I put that up too early. Cleansing from sin. Cleansing from sin. And we're going to get that from Titus chapter 1. You don't have to be there in your Bibles. It's up here, obviously, because you already saw it. Titus chapter 3, sorry. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. What's the, the key word that we see there? The, the, the what? The washing of regeneration. The washing of regeneration. As regeneration means to regenerate, to, to make new, to make again almost. 
And it's got the concept of being born again with it. And, and here it says that there's a, a washing that the regeneration accomplishes. The washing that belongs with being made new. So when you and I uh, gave our lives to Christ, when we decided to follow him and we put our trust and confidence in him, he made us new. And in making us new, there is a washing that happens with it. You can recall what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 5. He said this, Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So obviously we, we, we kind of hear of born again and water there, but, but what does that mean? Well, you can go back to Ezekiel chapter 36, and that's what this is going to ultimately tie to. Y'all hear me? Okay, is something going on? All right, let's try again. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. It's up on the screen, okay? It says this, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to, to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You see God's promising to wash us, to cleanse us from all sins, right? He promised that he would remake us, that he would cause us to be born again, that he would wash away all of our impurities, that he would cleanse us of what makes us impure, our sin. And that happens when we're remade. That happens when we're born again by faith. So, so this, is, this is the reality that baptism points us to, that we've been washed of our sins, that they've been cleansed, that we've been cleansed from all impurity. And guys, I would say that this is probably the easiest to understand about the notion of baptism, right? It's very easy to understand. What do we do when we want something clean? We wash it, right? So for example... Uh, I grew up in the church, and I grew up going to uh, church camp every winter and every summer. And there was a winter camp in middle school that I attended. Remember, middle school was the peak of my puberty, right? I was hitting it hard. Goodness, I was messing with all sorts of bad BO. Like, I, I, I had bad acne. It was terrible. I was experimenting with deodorant because I didn't know if I liked it or not. Uh, and I got the cool idea at that time that while I was away at camp, I wasn't going to shower once. I don't know why, I guess I thought it was a cool thing to not shower, and I thought the girls would like it. That was a terrible idea. It was four days of, of, of winter camp at church. If you've been to winter camp, or if you've been to church camp at all, you know it's going to be clean, that you're not going to end that week uh, spotless, right? You're, you're going to come out of that week with damage, right? You're going to come out of that week with some problems, uh, some, some, some messiness on you guys. Like there was the ropes course, there was paintball, there was, there was games that included shaving cream and Cheetos, right? So you, you're not coming out of that week clean. So I'm there, we have the whole week, come back, and uh, goodness, the first thing that my mom did when she saw me get off the bus was not, oh, hey, I love you, what'd you learn from Jesus? It was, And she wiped my arm, and you could see the dust fall off, and my skin actually showed through. And the first thing she said to me, boy, we're going home and getting a shower. We got to wash, right? I'm guessing we're still having issues, aren't we? Oh, the joy. Is this better? Yeah. Can we give a round of applause to Ethan and Terrell? Thanks for... 
I feel like, yeah, anyways. So washing as cleansing, baptism as that, makes a lot of sense for us. That's the reality of what we do. It just makes sense. But it's not the water itself that cleanses us from our sin. No, what is it? It's, it's the blood of Christ. You can see that in 1 John 1, 7, right? He says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Guys, this is one of the things that gets celebrated in that old time hymn, Are You Washed in the Blood? I'm, I'm going to do it. We're going to sing it. Uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Hey, there you go. That's it. So we're washed by the blood of Jesus. Baptism pictures that. Does it make sense? That's the first invisible spiritual reality that baptism visibly, symbolically expresses, a cleansing from sin. Let's move on to the second one really quickly, and that is safe passage through judgment. Can you say that? Safe passage through judgment. We're going to get that from a passage in the book of Peter, 1 Peter. Let me read it for you. It's up on the slides. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, keep that in mind, of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So honestly, this passage might get super confusing because what does it say? It says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Oh, okay, hold on. So we have to be physically baptized in order to be saved? That's not what this is saying. No, don't have to go there. Baptism isn't just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing that happens as well. So, so don't be confused about this. We're going to talk about what the spiritual baptism is in just a minute. Uh, but this passage isn't talking about that necessarily. It's talking about the days of Noah, right? He talked about the days of Noah and what happened with Noah and the ark, right? What happened? What did he need to do? He built the ark because what was coming? A flood, right? This reality of a flood. This passage speaks of that. The eight persons that were brought safely through the flood waters, which baptism now corresponds to. In that story, what were the waters meant to be? Were the waters uh, cleansing the humanity that had been broken? No, they were, they were judging. The waters were condemning. The waters destroyed. They were a sign of judgment. Now, in a sense, there's a purity that comes from that, but, but really the floodwaters were an act of judgment. They were the executioner of brokenness. Now, this makes sense both in scripture and in non-scripture because uh, for millennia, large bodies of water were depicted as destruction. They were depicted or seen as death and chaos, 
right? We, we, we see that in, in scripture even, for example. You see it in the Red Sea with Exodus, right? So you have the Israelites pass through the waters safely and then the waters close in on Pharaoh's army and destroy them. You see it in uh, the disciples in the boat, right? And Jesus calms that storm. You also can see it in Revelation 13 when the beast, the evil beast, rises out of the sea. It's because it's chaos. It's meant to be destruction. So in the flood, only eight humans survived along with two of every kind of animal. Water wasn't saving in that story, was it? No, it was destroying. It was an executioner. It was of God, the judge of all. So what was the means of salvation in that story? It wasn't the water, it was the ark. It was the ark. That's what saved the ark by which the eight people survived were placed into it and were saved through the water. So guys, the physical act of baptism is symbolic in that way, right? The waters represent death. They represent destruction, just like the floodwaters did. And going down into the waters of baptism symbolically portray that we're believing that God can raise us from the dead out of death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, if we carry the illustration even further, Jesus is our ark. Amen? Jesus is the one that we get placed into to safely see us through judgment, through the waters of death. We are saved by Jesus from destruction, and he grants us safe passage through the coming judgment that's one day going to come. So that's the second invisible spiritual reality that the visible expression of baptism points to in the gospel. Here's the third one, and this one we're going we're gonna to walk through a little bit more slowly, and it's the union with Jesus' death and resurrection. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Union with Jesus' death and resurrection. So you should still have your finger in your Bible. <laughs> Romans 6. We're finally there, okay? Romans chapter 6 is, is where we're going to end up today in our study. And let me give you some context before we get into it. Paul just said in Romans 5 an amazing promise of God. And that promise was this, that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin multiplies, grace over multiplies more and more and more. In other words, there's no sin that can outpace God's grace. Amen? Now, of course, if that's true, and since we're human beings who tend to like to distort really good gifts, we can take that and run with it, right? And that's what Paul addresses here in Romans 6. He addresses a way that we can run with that. If grace abounds where sin abounds, well, look at the logic. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace can multiply? <laughs> <laughs> no, right? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So stop there for a second. Here's the answer, right? 
Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But, but if grace abounds where sins abound, shouldn't, shouldn't we continue in sin so that grace can abound more and God can be more glorified? Whew, we messed that up. Here's the answer. No, we can't continue in sin because of another truth, because of another reality. We've died to sin. But how? How did you and I die to sin? Did we experience a death? Have I, have I physically died? No, I don't. I don't think so. No, we're, we're talking about something else. And, and we've died, according to this text, we've died through baptism. Look where Paul goes with this in verse 3. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died, is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. Guys, Paul is not speaking of baptism into water here. That's not in view. He's not speaking of the physical act of it. He's speaking of an invisible spiritual reality of baptism. Now remember, what does baptism mean? Immersion. Here he equates it to unification. Unification. He says in verse 3 that we have been baptized into what or whom? Jesus. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. And this happens by faith in him alone. The very instant that you and I received Jesus by faith, we were placed into him. We were immersed into him. We were baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, you'll you'll commonly hear in Scripture the phrase, in Christ. In fact, it makes a good uh, uh, salutation at the end of your email. In Christ, Scott Brud. Sounds great, right? In Christ is one of the best phrases that you could ever study in Scripture. One of the best studies that you can do in God's Word. In Christ. What it means to be in Christ. Because we have been placed into him. We have been spiritually baptized into Jesus, which means we were united with him. We were immersed with, into him. So it's like you can see what? You can see the image of the ark again, right? God taking us and placing us into the safety of Christ through the coming judgment. You can also see it that we were placed into Jesus with the washing of his blood, cleansing us of our sin. All because we have been united with Jesus. We've been placed into him, baptized into Jesus. And look at what this means. 
Look at what this means. Look back at where, at where baptism started us with our uni- uniting with Jesus. Look, look at verse 3. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Death. Baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. So through faith, being baptized into Jesus means we die and we are buried with Christ. Now some of y'all thinking, wait a minute, I, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for dying when I came to faith in Jesus. I thought he told me I was supposed to live. Isn't that what it's all about? Now, come on, what, what, do you, what did you think Jesus meant when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For anyone who would seek to save his life will lose it, but anybody who loses his life for my sake will find it. This! You die! Yeah, physical baptism into water pictures just that. We have died. And unfortunately, if you hold somebody down long enough, they will, right? But we go into the water symbolic of death. But do we stay down in death? Mm -mm. No, we don't stay down in the water. Now, some pastors, I'm not this kind of pastor, but some pastors will joke with the person they're about to baptize and say, I've got to I've got to hold you down there just a little extra longer because, you know, you filthy and we got to get all that sin off of you. I think that joke's stupid. I'm just going to say, I think it's a stupid joke and I think it leaves them suffering from PTSD after they've been baptized. It's just a terrible idea because the water ain't going to do that. No, we, we, we don't stay in the water. We come out of the water. We don't stay in death. We come out of death. Amen. Look at what verse 4 says. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Guys, the physical act of baptism symbolically preaches to us the invisible spiritual reality of the gospel that says that we who believe in Jesus, in other words, we who have despaired of our own efforts to save ourselves, we who trust in Jesus alone to accomplish everything necessary to save us from our sin and bring us back to God, we who believe that have been united with Jesus in his own death and his own resurrection, meaning you and I have died and have already been raised to walk in eternal life now. We have this new life now. It's one of my favorite passages. In fact, it's, I'd say it's the one I'd say is my favorite verse. It's Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, I have died and been raised to walk in new life. You who are in Christ have died and have been raised to walk in new life. Christ living in us. Guys, you can, you can see this in the, the recently updated statement of faith our membership has been looking over in our statement of faith. It says, baptism is the immersion of the believer into water in the name of the triune God, symbolizing the believer's immersion into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So guys, the chief invisible reality Spiritual reality that baptism into water is meant to preach to us again and again 
expresses to us our unification with Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, on the one hand, that sounds great because it ends in life. But goodness, guys, there's a beauty to the death that we get to experience. There's a beauty to the death that, that we get united to with Christ. And that's what I want us to, to take a look at. Paul talks about how beautiful it is to die and to rise with Jesus. Not just to live with Jesus, but to die with Jesus and to rise with him. Let's, let's look at those three things. I've got them up on the screen, but we're going to go back through Scripture and, and see what Paul says about this. There's some death to things and there's raised to things. Let's talk about the death to things. First, he says that there's a death to the old self. Can you say the old self? The old self. Look at verse six. For we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus. Guys, the old self was the old me. It was the old us. It was the caterpillar us, right? Because we're now butterflies. It was the corrupted us. It was the, the imprisoned me, the imprisoned us that was fast bound in sin in nature's night, as Charles Wesley would put it. It was the old us that died with Jesus when we believed in him, meaning, meaning that you and I, as Christians, were no longer trapped in or defined by our brokenness. We're no longer defined by our worst moments. We're no longer defined by corruption. That's all dead on the cross with Christ. So it's death to the old self. That's the first thing. Look at what else it brings death to. It brings death to sin's rule. Can we say sin's rule? Sin's rule. All right, verse 6 and 7. Take a look. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that, there's a purpose there, the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Brothers and sisters, this is probably uh, some of the hardest news for people to hear. And... and, And that's that before we are in Christ, we were in sin. Meaning, we were slaves of it. Meaning, it was our master. We weren't actually, truly, ultimately free. We had a master that ruled over the values of our hearts, over our passions, over our wills, over everything about us. And it constantly inclined us towards sin. It was a tyrannical master. But you see, when we get united with Jesus in his death and we die with him, hmm, sin's rule dies as well. Meaning it no longer is your highest authority. It no longer is the ultimate controller of everything about you. In fact, we now have true freedom in Christ because we've died. The reality is Christ isn't asking us to come be his slaves. He's actually asking us, as we serve him, come find true freedom. We never really had it before. Being baptized into Jesus' death, meaning it brought death to sin's tyranny over everything about us, and we've been now set free. Our choices, our will, our passions, our values, our hearts and our lives, all freed from the tyranny of sin. 
It's an incredible blessing. You see the beauty there? And we've got a third thing it brings death to. Take a look at it. It brings death to death's reign. Can we say death's reign? One, two, three. Death's reign. Look at verse nine. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. And if we've been united in a death like his, we're no longer experiencing the sting that death can bring. For us, now who are in Christ, death no longer sits at the end of our lives as a monster waiting for us to walk into its grasp of destruction. No, Jesus has repurposed Satan's weapon of death. He's repurposed it. He's remade it into just an open doorway that takes us to that place where our faith turns to sight. So that's... that's the death part of this. We had, we had death to three things, but there's also the fact that we've been raised to some things as well. We, there's been death, and now there's life, right? So not only does baptism into Christ bring certain death to things, it also brings life to certain things. So let's, let's look at what we're raised to now. We are raised to walk in what? New life. Look at verse four. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too... Walk in newness of life. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. My goodness, it's a new life that's characterized by God's likeness. It's characterized in righteousness. It's characterized in purity and in truth. Guys, you and I in this new life, we get a new way of thinking. We get a new way of loving. We get a new identity. We get a new master. There's so much new about us. So we're raised to walk in this new life. But it keeps going. It's not just a, a new life uh, in its own circle. No, we, we are brought into the circle of life with Christ. That's what we're raised to. We're raised to a life now with Jesus. Look at verse 8. should be in your Bible. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. United with him. Guys, the chief goal of the gospel is to bring us back to God, to bring us back into relationship with our Father. And that's the relationship that we're raised to for the rest of eternity in this death and resurrection that we get to experience. We get to live with Jesus. In fact, that's what Jesus defines as eternal life in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, God, and the one you have sent. That's eternal life. Eternal life's not living forever. Immortality, ultimately, that is part of it. Eternal life is living forever with God. And it started the moment you believed. So relationally knowing God, being restored back to him via death and resurrection is pictured in this thing called baptism. And then we have one third final thing. We're raised to life to God. Can we say life to God? Life to God. That's not like we're giving him life. We don't do that. Let's just go, go with it, okay? Verse 10, all right? Verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Isn't it weird that he puts the word to there? Wouldn't it make more sense or more comfortable for us to say if we're alive in God, right? He gives us life, right? In him we move and have our being. (laughs) He puts the word to, which implies for the purpose. It implies the direction of our lives. We now get to live for a much greater purpose than our own kingdoms and our own self. As in fact, we... We've realized in Christ that living for ourselves is just a terrible way of living. It just doesn't work out in the end. Nobody likes you when you live for yourself. It's a terrible way to live. But no, now, when we get to experience death and resurrection, we get to experience a life that is lived unto the praise and glory of our God. We get to live for God starting the moment we believed. And so now our acts of obedience are just simply responsive acts of praise in gratitude to our God. Whew, that's a lot. So let me summarize. All of this, everything here, the believer's cleansing from sin, safe passage through coming judgment, and being united to Jesus' death and resurrection, with him in his death and resurrection, all of that is the gospel. It's the good news. It's what we get to experience. It's what we get to be blessed with because the gospel, Jesus, the good news of God came down and offered up his life for sinners like you and me, And then rose from the dead and invited us, hey, come and experience this. Come follow me. All of this preached to us by this. All of those benefits, all of those blessings, won for us by our hero, Jesus Christ, preached to us again and again and again, anytime a new believer or a believer comes and gets in these waters, goes down and comes back up, cleansing from all sin. Hmm. Goodness, what a blessing. Or, you see it, safety through judgment that's coming. Or, their own death and resurrection having been united with Christ. It preaches to us again and again a visible gospel. That's what this is. That's what that's for ultimately. A visible gospel. It's a gospel of cleansing. It's a gospel of salvation. It's a gospel of death and resurrection life. And baptism puts it all on display. It speaks it to us. It preaches it with visible words. So you ever, you ever notice, you've been here for a baptism celebration before, any of you? you? You notice how when somebody goes down and comes back up, it gets a little rowdy in here. It gets a little crazy. We kind of go a little cray-cray. You know why? It's because we're celebrating the gospel. We're celebrating the truth that that new believer, that new brother or that new sister has been baptized into Jesus. 
that they've been cleansed of all their sin, that they've, they're safe in the coming judgment, that they're dead and they've raised to do new life in Jesus, all by the Spirit of God. That's why we get crazy. It's why we celebrate. It's why baptisms are such a big deal, because ultimately we're celebrating our Savior and the good news he preached to us. So the question then is, some of, for most of us, this wasn't new. So how do we respond? What, is, what does it look like for us? I, well, I, I think there's, there's two ways we can quickly respond to this. Uh, some of us, uh, there's certain traditions, certain kinds of uh, circles in our Christian faith where people put a lot of confidence in the, the, the baptism that they experience as a child or as a teen or, or whenever it happened because they respond to some altar call. Right? They, they say, when you're saved, well, I got saved when I was baptized, right? Well, that's not true. You were saved when you were baptized into Jesus by faith alone in him. So, so I would say if there's any inclination of you to put your confidence of your faith in what happened to you in some water a few years ago or a lot of years ago, that needs repentance because that's not our gospel. When, when we go out into the world, right, we tell people to repent and believe in Jesus and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. We're not talking about this baptism. We're talking about put yourself into Christ by faith through the Spirit. Unite yourself to him in his death and resurrection. Lose your life for his sake and then, goodness, you're going to find it. That's what we mean. We don't go out into the world and, and say, no, you, you got to go get wet. We're going to dunk you. And then you can be saved. And then you can be welcome in the church. Oh my goodness, no. We go with the gospel of Jesus, who is enough. So our confidence of our salvation is not in getting wet at some point in our lives. Our confidence is finding ourselves in Jesus alone. The second way that we can respond is more so for those of us or you who uh, have not yet follow Jesus' example or obeyed his command to, to be baptized as a believer. Um, I, I would say that there's some of you who may, were, may, may have been baptized as a, as a child, uh, and, and, and none of it was about your own faith. It was just about your parents' faith. Uh, some of you were baptized. I, can I tell you, I was baptized before I was saved. And that wasn't anybody else's fault but mine. I deceived the mess out of them. I, I knew the talk. I grew up in the church. My goodness, I, I, could, I could tell them the gospel backwards and forwards. I had a favorite Bible verse and everything. They still baptized me, but I, I did not have any allegiance to Christ. I just wanted a nice face in front of all the Christian people that I had to be around every Sunday because my parents took me to church. Guys, if, if you've not been baptized as a believer, as somebody who says, I'm following Jesus, then, then, then that would be the other way to respond. To, to give your life to Christ and in doing so, walk in obedience to his commands and joyfully, goodness, come get in these waters and preach to us the gospel. In dying and rising with Christ and seeing and experiencing the forgiveness of sins, not by the water, but by faith in Jesus alone. As we, we can baptize a few people in a, in, in a few weeks at the end of January. The water's warm. We're not taking the water from the river here. We can warm up the water if you're concerned about that. But goodness, we can baptize people. And I would, I would love to, to help you walk in obedience to Christ. 
your new Savior. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.